You're listening to episode 400 of the 200 Churches podcast. We've had pastors of house churches, and we've had some of the premier theologians in the world. That's the heart of what this show has always been about. It has never forgotten who we serve, who our audience is, who we care about. And so we highlight small church pastors. And at the same time, we've never felt like there was somebody too big or too important for us to talk to. And we've went out and tried to get everybody that we could. So those are the things I think about for sure. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a legit episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who have been encouraging thousands of pastors all around the world. The Coke and Pepsi of ministry podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. We should call it the 400 Churches Podcast now, maybe. Ooh, uh, I like it. This is 200 times two Churches Podcast. (laughs) I am Johnny Craig. I'm so excited. I can't... Look, if you had told me 10 years ago, you'll record 400 podcasts, I would say I probably won't, but Jeff will. Jeff, I'm so glad to be here with you today. My co-host, my friend, my mentor, my father figure... One of the handsomest guys I know. Wow, Johnny, I don't know if I can live up to that. I'll try. <laughs> I will try, but I'm not sure I can live up to that. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Johnny. It's been a minute. It's been a hot minute. I'm surprised I'm still welcome here. Oh, man, it's been like uh, four months. God, has eh, it really four been months. That? Oh, at least. Look, I apologize to Jeff, but not the listeners because the podcast is better without me, right? For them. But I feel better relationally. I feel like I have uh, slipped if I have not been doing this for four. We've talked in the past four months. Just we've not done a podcast recording. I've been looking at you down here on this screen down here the whole time. Well, now I've got you up here. This is better. This is better. I I realized you weren't looking at me and I just thought it was awkward between us now. Well, yeah. I mean, I hang my head in shame. Johnny, it's really good to have you back for this 400th episode, and who knows, maybe you'll pop in now and then. You know, one can only hope. We can only hope. I hope so. I stopped getting the invites on my calendar, so I just, I guess I didn't know when the recordings were happening. Well, I mean, did you really stop getting them? I, maybe I just forgot. Well, I don't know what happened. Maybe. Okay. Maybe, uh. Yeah, I know what happened, Johnny. Well, you know, you're busy. You're busy. You're in the summertime with your kids. You were, That's true. You were in the summertime with your kids. And, okay, can we just tell our listeners? Yeah. You and I haven't really had a plan as to how this would go when things started getting rough. Rough makes it sound like we've had conflict. Well... <laughs> <laughs> we had conflict that I wasn't aware of until right now. That's not that's that's terrible news. No, when when things, you know, when things started getting busy for you and for me, yeah. we kind of we ghosted our listeners for 8 months last year. We did. Yeah, that's true. It, and the truth is neither one of us ever wanted to admit that we weren't going to record that month. Like at any time we might have just flipped the switch on and we might have just gotten on and recorded. Sure. And then before we knew it, eight months had gone by. It was kind of a kind of a mid to post COVID like uh, oh, meltdown. Yes, 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 yes. You know, well, no one can be blamed for what happened during COVID. That's what I say. There you go. There you go. And then <laughs> and then we were doing good at the beginning of this year. And you were, you know, you were on with me for most of the episodes. And yep. then and I knew this would happen. You, you know, your kids got out of school. And they're, they're at the house and it's crazy. Well, that's the thing. My kids got out of school. Um, and at the same time, my wife got her contract to write her second book and, uh, she had to write during the summer. I mean, like she signed the contract at the end of May, I think. So, and, and they said, we want the book by September. So she went into full blown, you know, writing mode, which is, a full-time job on top of the freelance work that she does on top of the fact that, you know, there are four kids that run around this house constantly. And so summertime came and she uh, really needed to be able to focus uh, on her work. And so, yeah, it did get a little dicey there for three months. I can tell you that the first day of school when all the kids were gone, it was crazy around here. Crazy quiet. Like 
I don't think either she or I knew what to do with ourselves when there wasn't like constant interruptions, constantly somebody showing up and asking for this or asking, like sitting down and having two, three, four hours of like focused time is just something that neither of us uh, remembered how to have. Well, it was your, crazy. Your daughter, Eliza, is in school. Is this for the first time this year? For the year? first time. Yes. Wow. That's awesome. Yes. How's she doing? She's doing great, man. She's doing really, really well. She is, uh, so Eliza is nonverbal um, and cannot walk, cannot feed herself. So, you know, you're, you're looking at a child with, uh, who needs everything, right? Yeah. Um, and so that makes school kind of a nerve wracking thing for Kayla and I, as we think about how is, we know her needs, right? How is somebody else going to know her needs and are her needs going to be met? But it's really wonderful. Her teacher, uh, we were actually able to have her teacher nanny for us all summer. And so going into oh, wow. school, Eliza knew her teacher, yeah. loved her teacher. We trust, right, her teacher. Uh, and and then our kids are, uh, we have two other kids at that school. And my son, Abram, who is also six, uh, he told us that he wanted Eliza in his class. Hmm. So. Obviously, she's in the special education, but there's a lot of time where kids in the um, special education program spend in a you know typical classroom. Uh, and he told us, I want Eliza in my class, which we thought was just so beautiful. And so uh, we feel like she, we know her, the people we're caring for, her, she gets to see her brothers and it's really, really a great thing. She comes home every day, just like thrilled. She's an extrovert, you know, uh, and she just comes home every day, <laughs> thrilled out of her mind, genuinely. So it's, it's a lot of fun. So my daughter's kid who's special needs with this hearing issue, he's an extrovert. Yeah. He's he's not he's nonverbal. I mean, essentially right now he is. Yeah. He, he's making sounds and he's making noises now, but he didn't get his cochlear till he was a year and a half. So sure. you know, he got really late to the game of words, but but he's an extrovert. So it's funny with these kids. You wonder what kind of frustration they have to deal with. Right. You know, they're extroverted. They want to communicate, but there's yep, this yep. barrier. Yep. So, so tell me something. And we, you and I haven't, we haven't planned this part of it, but tell me something that you have learned. So you have the curse of knowledge. You think everybody <laughs> knows this. We don't know this, Johnny. What have you learned as a parent and as a pastor um, from Eliza? that you haven't learned from your three boys who can run around, they more than feed themselves, and they tell you stuff you may not want to hear. Um, but Eliza is nonverbal. She can't really tell you anything verbally. Yeah. She can't yeah. feed herself. What have you learned from being a, a dad to Eliza that like we wouldn't know? Oh, man. I mean, there's so many just practical things that I could speak about community, the importance of people who are supportive without being, um, what's the word that I want to, you know, there's people in our life, friends and family who, uh, Eliza is just part of their life. There's nothing of note about it. You know, we don't have to talk about disability. There's no like, Oh, how are you doing? You know, there's no, there's no fake sympathy. Hmm. Uh, so I would say I've learned just the value of real community, uh, people who uh, know my family and love us for uh, exactly who we are. Uh, and to them, we are just a normal family. You know what I mean? Uh, which probably sounds kind of wild uh, and weird, but uh, that I would say is something that has been important to us. Um, and then, you know, theologically, I I think that I've probably learned more about God through Eliza than I did in seminary, than I did working as a pastor for four years before she came into our lives. What's one thing um, you've learned? I think I've learned about unconditional love, the love that Eliza expresses toward us. I think it's easy to say, oh, the love that we have for Eliza is like the love of God. But I actually think it's the opposite. I think the love Eliza has for us is the love of God. It is an unconditional love, right? Uh, it is just full of grace and uh, full of joy. And to, the idea that God loves me the way Eliza loves me, um, it, 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 it's, it is mind-boggling. Uh, and it, mm. it, 
it, that is something that I think as I've learned and believed that has just nourished, I think my soul and has changed the way that I relate to God. Yeah. Not my belief in God, but I think certainly the way that I relate to God has changed completely. So I preached a whole sermon maybe a year ago now about seeing the face of God in the, in a child like Eliza. Uh, There was a, the president of France after world war II, he was a great general. He became the president of France. Uh, He had a daughter with down syndrome and he talked about how she had taught him more than, you know, all these accolades that he had felt. He's like all the accolades I get, all the hate that I get, none of it really matters in light of this child. Um, And it's something that it's probably very hard to describe and very hard to understand, but I think that grace is hard to describe and hard to understand, isn't it? And so that is something that I've just, that is, yeah, it's changed my life in the most beautiful kinds of ways. So her love for you, like no matter how much of a loser and a failure you are in real life, (laughs) she she never sees that in you. No, it's just like all she sees is just like some someone that like she adores. It's like she can't wait to to be held by. And uh, there was I was actually a friend of mine uh, who was telling me a story of getting up early in the morning. He was at a retreat, and somebody else was. So I heard this third hand, but somebody else was talking about how they woke up early to get silent time with God and to get time away with God. And they were getting frustrated because it felt like every time they got up early, their child got up early too hmm. and wanted to come and be with them and wanted to sit on their lap and wanted to be held by them. And they were like, I, I'm trying to get silent time with God. Like I'm trying to be with God right now. And I'm so frustrated because this you know, kid keeps bothering me. Uh, and the, the leader of this retreat um, said, what if... What if your what if God is in your child and God just wants to be up with you and held by you? And it's like I don't think that we as Americans can and westerners and you know people who have inherited, you know, the theology of Augustine, I don't think that we can like sit too long with the idea that God would want to be held by us, right? It's too uncomfortable. Like we're held by God, and yet uh I do think there is something so mysterious about the love of God being childlike and being vulnerable. That's like, yeah, uncomfortable to talk about, but something that I've experienced firsthand with, with Eliza. I put together a message this past weekend from Colossians chapter two, and I was trying to find a good title for it. Something that really could describe what this passage looked like for me verses six through 15. And here's the title I came up with. Jesus fixes everything that is wrong with you. (laughs) A little clunky. Right? <laughs> but it's yeah. the truth. And, and we talked about that exact thing. We don't think about that. We just think, oh, we're a worm, we're a sinner, you know, we're, sure. we're righteous, but it's only positional. It's not real righteousness. You know, we've got mm. shame, we've got guilt, we've got all this stuff. But what if we could believe, yeah, that God was like a child and just looked at us and didn't see any of the imperfections because we theologically believe that in Christ they're all gone, right? They're right. they're washed away as far as the east is right. from the west and all that. Uh, but so so Jesus fixes everything that is wrong with you. And I just kind of mm. went down the list. You know what do you what do you what do you think's wrong with you? When you look yeah. in the mirror, what do you see and what do you say and who do you see? And do you really believe that Jesus? And then of course we talk about the power of the cross and the resurrection. Yeah. And yeah, if yeah. we really believe that you know, that Jesus fixes everything that's wrong with us. And I mean, I hadn't thought about this, but you think about Eliza, you know, what's quote unquote wrong with her. And when you look at her and the love you have, that takes all that stuff goes away. Right. There's just a girl who you love and who's a beautiful person. Yeah. And that love fixes everything that's wrong. I think every parent of a child with special needs goes through a process of realizing that all the things that they wish could be different for their child are, are nothing that, well, the future could have been this. It could have been that 
What if, what if we had gotten Eliza's seizures under control? What if we had gotten a cochlear implant earlier? What if, you know, all these things. And you start to realize this child is perfect. Um, this child is made in the image of God. Uh, and that's it. And, and you, your list kind of goes away. And when, as soon as the list goes away, and it's an ongoing process, right? But as soon as your list goes away, uh, you, your eyes just open up to the world in a totally different um, way. At least mine did. And I, not that I'm, look, I'm a bad person. I actually, I, we both have a friend named Bill um, and he has uh, children with uh, Down syndrome. And uh, so I was talking to him before we adopted Eliza. She has Down syndrome. And uh, I, I, I've told you about this before, Jeff, but I joked with him after we brought Eliza home. I said, Bill, uh, this is the worst thing that ever happened to you, man, because I used to think you were a great guy. I used to think <laughs> you were like a saint. And now I realize that if I have a chat, like I'm a terrible person. So you must like it really cast you in a different light for me, Bill. You took you off the pedestal. So I'm not talking about that. I've achieved some higher plane of like goodness or something like that. Um, but it just is the, the, the internal life of a parent uh, is just, a beautiful, beautiful thing and, and accepting Eliza exactly the way she is and not hoping for something different or wishing for something different, but just being able to be with her in, in the place that she's at. Um, it, it's an extraordinary gift. Yeah. Yeah. Contentment. We all need to have that in mm. so many areas of our lives. Yeah. So Johnny, this is episode 400 and uh, we're, we're marking it by, you know, just, it's just you and me today. We'll, we'll have a few cameo appearances in a few minutes. <laughs> But, you know, we think back to January of 2013 when we started this thing. Uh, no, oh most word. people, most, the majority of Americans did not even know what a podcast was back then. I remember having to explain it to people. Yeah. And it's only been in the last two to maybe three years that podcasts have become mainstream. So, yes. so it's been, uh, it's been a fun ride in, in this January, it'll be 10 years. And I was incredible. I was at lunch with a, another pastor today, and he was asking me about the podcast. And I started thinking about all the different people and different things that yeah. we've been a part of. But but the most important thing is that we've been saying that we want to provide ministry encouragement to pastors of small churches. Yep. And thankfully, in the whole culture, and it's not because of our podcast, it is because of our podcast and a lot of other people who have been working alongside of us in all different ways that the whole respect and level of uh, respect for small churches has raised over the last 10 years. Would you agree? I think it has. I think it has. I also think that, you know, uh, uh, there, <laughs> this is too personal for some pastors maybe, but post COVID a lot more people found themselves in small churches. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, Oh wow. I guess I'm a small church pastor. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I can't I can't hate on them anymore because I am one. Uh, so I think there is something to that. But I agree. I do think that the conversation around and look, you know me, I love shoveling dirt uh, on top of people. So I think half of it is like we've people have more respect for small churches. But in the in the meantime, large churches across America have uh, not done a lot to engender a lot of love. And so I think the realities of what has happened in a lot of large churches over the past 10 years, um, coupled with the fact that people are realizing really good ministry happens in small churches, has definitely raised the level of respect uh, that small church pastors receive. Not that we ever obviously wish bad on larger churches or any church. Oh, I don't matter. wish bad. But, but they it's, just are yeah. bad. I don't wish it. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but it's just happened. It's the truth. It's, yeah, it's, it's just, just yeah. what has happened has happened. That's exactly right. Yeah. But, but I think if anything, that doesn't necessarily throw, it doesn't so much throw dirt on large churches as it just shows that we're we're all we're all in this together. Big yeah. churches, small churches are going to fail, and small churches are not less than simply by nature of them being smaller in size. Correct. They're Correct. just they're just not. So, Johnny, you've been doing digital ministry at the church you've been serving at now for over five years. You've been yeah. doing for the last year and a half almost exclusively yep. been yeah. a digital a pastor on a digital campus. Give me two things that you've learned about digital ministry that are like oh. the like maybe the two like most important things. Maybe you used to think this, but now you think this way about interacting with people. And it honestly, 
it doesn't have to be positive because I think, you know, <laughs> two years ago, right when COVID had started, you had all of these like, like megalomania thoughts about, oh, virtual ministry, a virtual campus. And all. Yeah. I think some of those thoughts have kind of been tempered with reality. But maybe in other areas, there's, there have been things where we, we say, oh, well, this is what we actually can do, legit can do in digital ministry in the lives of people. Yeah, I'd say the number one learning is that personal connection is king, king, K-I-N-G. It is the premier measure of health, success, whatever you want to say, personal connection. Now, that does not have to mean in the same room together connection. We, we, uh, we workshopped a thing this summer we called it summer reading. And every week I would send out like a short reading chapter of a book, a blog, a Twitter thread, an article in a magazine. It, the whole idea was like, you don't have a lot of time. You don't to read, read this and then we'll discuss it. And we went to this app called Voxer where you can just leave voice messages yeah, for other people. Yeah. And hearing other people's voices and then hearing people responding to the fact that they were hearing other people's voices was like next level. It mm. just took the connections that we had started to make in a all online space and just like put them into high gear. I would say, um, I'm not saying anybody's best friends out of that, but it just made the conversations more authentic. It made people, when you're sharing your voice, you share more honest, you can't edit, you can't, uh, oh no, I'm going to erase that backspace, backspace. I don't want to say that you, there's no, you can't shape anything when you're just leaving a voice memo for people. Right. And so the personal connection is absolutely, uh, is absolutely King. <clears throat> the second thing I would say is content is a necessary evil. How's that? I think that a lot of what people think of as online ministry the picture people have in their minds is content driven. Uh, that's the picture I had in my mind. I think that our churches are too often content driven, Sunday morning driven, good worship driven, uh, whatever. The content it cannot be the point, but it is a necessary evil. No content, no opportunity for connection. But if you pour all your energy into content, pretty soon what you find out is, nobody's making an authentic connection. So, um, and I, I, the word content might not make sense to everybody. Videos, social media posts, you know, um, nothing that is driving people into conversation, but is just exists as something to, for them to watch or read or listen to in kind of isolation. That's content. Um, it is a necessary evil. It, if you don't have it, you can't get people into connection, but if you spend all your time on content, uh, that is a waste of your time. So, frankly. so the printed page, the spoken word, the visualized presentation, those things are content. Yeah, they're they're the method. They're the method for human interaction. Yeah, there's a method for connection. So, content can be. I I made some reels right for Instagram, and they're very kind of silly and irreverent, um, and kind of poke fun at maybe church culture. And there are people who have joined the digital community because of those, they saw the real and it connected with them. They thought that guy is saying something that I've thought, or he's speaking to an experience that I've had. I have enough trust just from that piece of content to slide over into this other thing. And that then opens the door to make real connection, which is really what's ultimately the goal. If I don't do social media, I don't get anybody in the digital community. If I spend all my time on social media and not time actually building out the community and making these like personal connections, then I just have, imagine a church where nobody's in a small group, nobody's serving, nobody's, you know what I'm saying? They just show up and they watch Sunday morning and then they go home. And look, in America, there's a lot of churches that have that and like that and want that, but that's not discipleship and that's not any deeper thing that's happening. You know what I'm saying? So you need content, but connection, personal connection is absolutely the most vital and important thing. Good. I, I like the, what you said about the, the Voxer thing or whatever you could use um, Marco Polo yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah. 
where where Marco Polo, of course, you'd have the video right. as well. That might even take it to another level. Yeah. But just but just something beyond the post. Right. Right. The printed the printed post. That's uh that's good. That's really good. So Johnny, I wanted to I wanted us to talk about some memories from the past that were significant. And uh, I guess the first thing I would ask you is what jumps out at you since I mean you were 26 when we started this <laughs> and you are are you 36 now? 30? Oh my. I am, Jeff. I am. Yeah. Yeah. So the better part of your adult life you've been you've been uh, attached yes to the, the Jeff Katie name uh in one way or another. It's a great name to be and, attached uh, to. I have no problem with that. Uh, you, like the ball and chain, you've been dragging it behind you. <laughs> but but what are your memories of of the early days and when we started this thing? Just wondering. Oh my gosh, I remember. Well, we always joke about the carpeted walls. We we were thinking we would record in a room that was in the basement of the church we were at together, and that room had carpet on the walls. I think we did one episode in there, but. Uh, it was a great, a great sound, soundproof room though. Yeah, it was. it was great for that. It was about eight, 80 feet underground though. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, so I think about that. I definitely think about the time we were in your living room and it is crazy to think that in 10 years, how far like technology has come because yeah. the rig we had to do our first ever interview with somebody and record it was like extraordinary. There was no software easily available to just no. like record your zoom call. There was no zoom, right? But there was nothing to record a Skype or we're on something called Zencaster right now. This did not exist. There was nothing like that. You had to hardwire the sound out of your computer into a mixer, into a re recorder. We still had to hear. So we had to split that sound also into some headphones that we could get into. It was, do you remember? I mean, there was a mess. There was wires crisscrossing everywhere. So I do, I remember some of those funny, funny memories um, of just two guys, no idea what they were doing at all, but just figuring it out week after week um, because we thought it was important, right? To encourage small church pastors because they couldn't get no respect. Do you, do you, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> do you, do you remember, do you remember us the very first day in, in January of, of 13 when we, you sat across the desk from me? And I put that digital recorder in between us. I stood it up on my desk and I'd go to press record and I'd stop. And I'd be like, I can't, we can't start. I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> and then you remember how we, hes I, we hesitated and hesitated yes. and hesitated. And you're just like, you were freaking out at me. You're like, just, just push record. Let's just go. Let's just go. And I'd be like, I don't know what to say. So we pushed record. We did our first episode and it was all of five minutes and yeah. 40 something seconds. Right. I'm looking at this timer. We've been going 28 minutes. There's people who turned us off already. They can't handle any more of this. Our first episode start to finish was 20 or was five minutes long. It is crazy to think about. And then just in the in-between, so many amazing guests, so many amazing people sitting in your house all hours of the day and night, talking to John Finkeldy when my wife's water broke, you know, calling up uh <laughs> Calling up Stanley Hauerwas on the phone because he's like, can't understand how to use a computer. So you had to talk to him on the phone. He's not, it's not like we were doing a conversation with somebody in Beirut in 1998. Like it was like yeah, terrible. Yeah. Uh, but do, doing that, um, just the connections that we made that led to other connections. Like I love Mandy Smith. She's been on the podcast, I think, two times, maybe even three. She is amazing and so generous. And then she was just like randomly like, hey, you want to talk to Walter Brueggemann? And just like hooked us up with Walter Brueggemann. Um, David Fitch hooked us up with Stanley Howard. I mean, just the kindness of people that we've talked to, to share their wisdom with us, but also their networks with us so that we have been able to have like really, 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 we've had pastors of house churches, right? Uh, and we've had some of the premier theologians in the world. And that's the heart of what this show has always been about. It has never forgotten who we serve, who our audience is, who we care about. And so we highlight small church pastors. Uh, and at the same time, we've never felt like um, there was somebody too big or too important for us to talk to. And we've went out and tried to get everybody that we could. So um, 
yeah, that, those are the things I think about for sure. Well, you'd been in my church with me for about four months, four and a half months when we started the podcast. Yeah. So it's been fun for me to watch you grow up on the podcast. I mean, I mean, you've always been a good talker. You could always talk, talk the bark off a tree. Sure. But now you've actually got content in it. This podcast, <laughs> yes. The things that I've learned from our guests, I mean, I'd never heard of differentiation when I was 25 years old, right? Um, we've had conversations with great leaders and, and authors of leadership books about topics like that, systems theory, about uh, just the politics of leading a church, the realities of change, how long change takes. Dan Ryland has been on to talk about, right, building up an account with with your congregation. Uh, at 25 years old, 26 years old, when I showed up at the church that we worked at together there, uh, I didn't know any of that stuff. No, Nobody knows that stuff when they're 26, but I, a lot of people don't know that stuff when they're 36. And part of it is because uh, they just have not sought out the opportunities. And um, I'm really grateful. If insofar as I have any skills as a leader, <laughs> I don't want to claim that I do, but insofar as I do, uh, this podcast has been an enormous and more help than seminary for me as a leader and a pastor, um, more help than maybe anything except for your your friendship and mentorship and the friendship and mentorship that I have with Suzanne, my lead pastor now. Uh, I mean, it's it's up there. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, I just added somebody. I just added John Lynch to our uh, to our list John here. Lynch. Because talk about memories. Here's a guy. Oh, there's such a story. I think I'm just going to off the top of my head. I think it's episode 252. That's off the top of my head where, where me and Steve Mason talk. And Steve came to our church, basically crawled out of the basement yeah. in severe depression and anxiety, came to our church, and over the course of time, got a hold of this book by John Lynch from one of our, our people, totally changed his life, ends up connecting with John Lynch, getting to know him. And one night, it ends up in the luxurious and opulent <laughs> 200 Churches podcast, Sound Studio, and World Headquarters. You and me and Steve and John Lynch sat together and we recorded. Yeah. That was that was in the in the seventies, the episode seventies somewhere. And uh, and so so this is what John Lynch told us that night. You know, in the Reformation, we got justification mm. by grace. Yeah. And now here we are in the 21st century starting to understand sanctification by grace, meaning this. We all believe, oh, over here at justification, oh, God did it all. He did every bit of it. You can't do it yourself. It's all Jesus. You didn't have anything you could bring to it. He joined us together, everything. And then all at the other end of the story, a glorification. Oh, you can't get to heaven without him. It's all him. You didn't do anything. But in every single moment in between, which would be our entire lives, right? sanctification, we see him as an Angry pirate with too much coffee saying, what's wrong with you? I don't like you very much. Can't you do something? What's wrong with you? You make me sick, you do. I got to endure you. And although that's kind of a uh, caricature, a lot of our people would say, I think that's how he sees me. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, so yes, saved by grace and, and going to heaven by grace, but everything else is by my hard effort to assuage my shame and somehow comply enough so that he will be kind of okay with me. You know, John, we preached Acts 17 a while back at our church and Jeff and I were talking about, we were co-preaching it. We're looking at it together and there's a verse in there. that says, you know, because God is not far away from any of us. And Jeff said, man, when I, the way I was raised, my education, yeah. that means God is not far away from any of us. His hand is right over us about to squish us dead <laughs> for the terrible things that we do. And I, and I said, I, I think it, 
is like exactly the opposite of that. It's, God is not far away from any of us. He's drawing us to that's himself. Right. He's pulling us this love, this grace, you know, that's moving constantly. Well, I mean, why do you think, why do you think that idea of angry God come and slap us well, exists? We all carry shame. Right. That, that thing that's different than guilt, isn't it? Guilt says I've done something wrong. Shame says there's something particular particularly uniquely wrong about you. So I so I take the Bible and I read it and I read it with a shame filter. Right. So so I I, I read it with this filter that presumes how Jesus is talking to me. So in, in John 15 where it says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you love me and keep my commandments, my my father will make his abode with you and and, and we'll stay with you. I read it like a pirate. If you love me, you say you loves me. I'm not so sure. If you love me, then you better keep me commandments. Or maybe my father won't make his abode with you, eh? And I was all the time, honestly, all the time wondering how many commandments, what's, what's enough, what do, right. what does he do? Because I was reading the scripture, presuming Christ's voice. And here it is. In truth, it's a third class conditional in the Greek, meaning because you love me. Because you love me, you will find yourself keeping my commandments. Yeah. Oh, and oh, by the way, there's only one. In, in fact, it's not even a commandment. It's really, it's really an offer to do who you are. You're, you've got the love of Christ in you. So I'm going to tell you, it's not the 11th commandment. It's, not, it's, it's a brand new order of commandment. Love each other. Right. It's who you are. It's what you've wanted to do. So what if that was true instead of me beating myself up on it? Uh, the book itself really is a telling of Hebrews eleven six, isn't it? Without faith, without trust, it's impossible to please God. So it's it's laying out that distinction between trying to please God enough to make him happy. And he says, you will never be able to please me enough, ever unless you trust me with you, unless you trust who I say you are on your worst day, that's when you'll please me. So, so here on my worst day, after I've done the most wrong thing, is it possible to believe that he says, John, I will never, ever, ever condemn you. I'm crazy about you to the exact extent that my father loves me. Jesus says, so also I love you. It, could you dare believe that, that that on my worst day, I'm Christ and John Lynch, that, that we're fused together, where, that I can't tell where I finish off and he starts up? And he, and he says, will you believe that, John? Will you believe that you wear a robe of righteousness all the time? And when I do believe, when I choose to believe that that's true, he says, John, look, you're doing it. You're trusting me. And not only that, but you've never pleased me so much in your whole life. Well, that's an entirely different way for me to live my life. Instead of straining and assuaging and trying to impress him and getting worn down and weary and beaten up and feeling like he's always mildly disgusted with me, to instead have a God whose arms around me, not on the other side of my sin, but with me looking at my stuff together, crazy about me, saying, kid, I've known from before the world began, and I'm not ashamed, I'm not mad, I'm crazy about you. That, to be able to read the scriptures without that filter that we put on it, it's, it's like being born again again. So you and I, Johnny, had just started listening yeah. to that kind of a message from from his book, The Cure, but just to be free from the guilt and shame. And Steve sat there and listened to it. But just just those kinds of things happening because yeah, of our podcast absolutely. was so much and fun. I think I didn't understand John Lynch's deal, I think, when he was on our podcast. Um, and over time, knowing Steve... And John Lynch is great, um, but knowing Steve is is really what has, I think, taught me more about grace than anything else. Um, and seeing how grace has impacted his life, it it, it makes it hmm. irresistible. Like it's all, it's all you want is to experience grace like Steve has experienced. So, 
Um, yeah, that was a great conversation. And then Pam, uh, Steve's wife made us coconut cream pie that night. That was uh, absolutely delicious. So I will never forget that either. Every once in a while, I run into that picture yes. of the four of us up there holding our pie. Yeah, that's, that's great. Hey, and then, you know, you go from that mm-hmm. and you go to somebody like Kay Warren and somehow you were able to connect with her and you got her on the podcast and she talked to us about this. that it's your fault if you have a mental illness. It's considered a character defect. And that's from centuries and centuries of misperceptions about mental illness. So, you know, the myth that it's purely demonic, that it's a lack of faith, that it's a character issue, that it's not very common, that um, the only way to treat it or to get rid of it, quote, is to is, is spiritual um, means and that if you ever go to counseling or take medication for a mental illness, that you really aren't very spiritual and that you don't have faith. Those are all myths and misperceptions about mental illness. When the reality is, as I said, we're a whole, we're a body, and things go wrong in our body. There is marvelous treatment, especially when people, when the illness is caught early, people respond to treatment, to medication. I always say what I've learned about it is that we should go after it on every dimension that yes, you should attack mental illness spiritually. You need to be in touch with God and a surrendered heart, seeking fellowship and communion with other believers. You need to, to see your doctor. You need to go get a diagnosis. So you need to treat it medically. You may need a psychiatric evaluation. You may need medication. And then I say, it, it depends on us on how much we're your physical state. Like, what are you eating? Are you eating just are you surviving on donuts and Coke? Because you, you are. How can your brain function well? So, you know, eat as best you can. Make sure you're exercising. Get enough sleep. If there are broken relationships and habits and addictions that are a part of it. So there's not just any one solution. And I think that's a myth. There's only one solution. There's not. It's go after it on every one of those levels. And to me, that seems to be to offer the most optimum chance for for health and well-being, and sometimes for people completely, completely healed. But that comes down to God's business. I can't, I don't get to control who God heals and how he does it, but the spirit is part of it. So is the physical. So is um, the men. It all goes together. The pastor stands up on a Sunday morning and in his or her pastoral prayer says, God, there are people sitting here today who are living with depression, barely hanging on. There are people here today with anxiety that it took everything that within them to get out of bed and come here today. And God, we recognize that among us. And Lord, would you bring your comfort just to mention, just to mention a mental illness in a pastoral prayer will be staggering to some folks to feel like somebody cares about what's going on in my life. And Johnny, I don't even know if yet today, uh, my church now, I don't know, or your church, if we are mental health literate mm. enough yet. Yeah. You know, I think that's something that we can just constantly be working on because it's true. There are people in our churches who struggle with mental oh, health yeah. issues. Yeah. But that was um, that was uh, a fun conversation for the fun parts of it. Yeah. And then it was a heartbreaking conversation as well. You know, somebody like Kay Warren who can take pain and, and turn it into advocacy and turn it into something beautiful. Um, yeah, it was a gift. It was a joy to talk to her. Way better than if we had ever talked to Rick. What the heck does Rick have to say? It would Everything would be alliterated. There'd be five points. It would rhyme. I'm, I'm not interested. Kay was a better get. In all of Rick's messages, they all resolve in 45 minutes and everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a sitcom. His little Come goatee, on, it takes him 45 minutes to shave that thing up, I bet. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, it's good to have you back, Johnny. Good to have you back. So, Johnny, tell me, speaking of taking pain and turning it into something, 
tell me what you remember about our buddy from the East Coast, Vinny. Vinny Provenzano. Vinny Pro- what do you remember about Vinny? Besides sounding like he is a form of cured meat, uh, Vinny, uh, Vinny had <laughs> personal tragedy in his life as well. And uh, I think anybody who has ever read about the opioid crisis um, that really, um, really seems like the eastern part of America was harder than anywhere else with this uh, op- opioid crisis. And Vinny lost, uh, Vinny lost his daughter um, to to the crisis is I think the only way that I could say it. Uh, and yet, right. He was motivated and inspired out of that to start a new ministry and to try to make a way, uh, uh for hope for people who found themselves mired in addiction. And, uh, yeah, this is a little bit of our conversation with Vinny and it, what a great, what a great guy. And she broke down and she shared with us that she had been struggling with heroin. And uh, um, so that kind of changed everything for us. We immediately uh, got her into treatment at a residential program here in Connecticut called Mountainside. In that one year, so we found out on July 17th of 2016, and Lauren unfortunately passed away of an overdose on July 6th. 2017. Uh, And in that one year, she had overdosed six times and did did not survive the last one. And really, her addiction was just the end of of a long struggle that really started for her in middle school. And as me and my wife were going through it, even before we knew uh, that she was addicted to heroin, you know, I was really gripped with that, gosh, Lord, if people in my church are facing these kinds of challenges and going through what we have gone through as a family, then I have to do something to help them. I have to do something to comfort them in this. So that's where uh, uh, I shared the story with uh, Jeff. And then, uh, uh, as I said, she passed away. So, of course, in this past year, We've been navigating that and trying to adjust to a world where now she is no longer with us. Uh, but we did, and it's it's one of the hopes that we have. And we did see God do some really incredible things in the last two and a half, three weeks of her life. And so we have great comfort in our hearts today that she's with the Lord. So we are grateful for that. Vinny, uh, this is, um, that's a raw story, man. I mean, that and, and to come and share that with us. I'm I'm grateful for your willingness to yeah to tell that story because so often on the news we hear about the opioid crisis so often uh in our churches maybe our congregations we see uh families who have a child struggling you know with an addiction or with something like that but it seems almost like the pastor has to be somehow above or outside of that right like somehow the pastor has to be uh, unaffected yes. by those things, and for you to share that story of how close this was and how, yeah, how close you were touched by this issue, yeah, I, I guess I'm just grateful that you're willing to share that story, and I and I hope that our listeners can appreciate just the intensity of you sharing that story with us and and appreciate what they can learn from you today. So I just want to start off by saying thank you for sharing and being willing to open up like that. Well, that's part of my. Uh heart, Johnny, is that not only, you know, do I want to help families, but I think I said to Jeff when we initially talked was somewhere I think we have to give pastors permission to hurt and to realize that our families are not always perfect, but God will help us through that. Vinny, that's a crazy story for us to hear because, you know, we hear about this happening on the news. We read about it in the newspapers very rarely. You know, do we get to talk to somebody personally or get to know somebody who's gone through this? And what struck me as I looked at, and we'll talk in a minute about this website that you've started. Mm -hmm. I was on it and looking at pictures and stories uh, about your daughter and this issue of heroin addiction, this issue of what is it? Opioid addiction. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a scourge. I mean, it's a horrible thing. And I think in, in a lot of Christian circles, when they hear about somebody who's on drugs, they think of somebody right. who's not a good person. 
and it was anything but true for your daughter. And it's it's like one of these stories where you know you've got a good family, you've got a good kid, but somehow they get tangled up in this stuff that is so destructive. So just talk to us about like how can this happen in a in a pastor's family, right? Right. Uh, to a to a girl that's so sharp and so smart and so well loved, it's a horrible thing that's happening to too many right. people. Well, that's one of the things that really bothered Lauren and anyone that suffers with a, a mental health issue or especially a drug addiction. One of their biggest challenges is dealing with the tremendous amount of guilt and shame. And she would often say to me, Dad, you know, the moment people realize that I am a heroin addict, they they immediately assume specific things about me. And one thing she once said to me was, she said, you have to understand that these are not bad people. We are just caught up in all of this. And for Lauren, it started as a mental health issue. And that's why I say, you know, our family was trying to deal with that and face that. And that's where I started realizing, gosh, this is this is turning our family upside down, not even having having the drug addiction component. But for her, it started a number of ways. You know, first, we have a family history of addiction. I was a cocaine addict and I haven't used drugs for over 30 years. My father was a functional alcoholic. I have other relatives who are alcoholics. Uh, when she was 12 years old and now since she's passed away, although I had to go through the court system to do it, because even after her death, although I was the person of interest on her death certificate, I still could not get her medical records. So for many institutions, I had to actually take them to court to do that. And I've learned so much in being able to see her medical records. And quite honestly, some of the information that was there would have been tremendously helpful to us in helping her. But when she was 12 years old, uh, she had a severe kidney stone attack, and, and, and they had put her on morphine. And I'm not telling anybody to not, you know, take any pain medication prescribed by their doctor. I'm just telling Lauren's story. Uh, they put her on morphine, and then they also put her on oxycodone. And several times in her medical history, she makes mention to the fact that she remembered that experience and she remembered what opiates felt like. Uh, and then as she headed into middle school, she started dealing with the insecurities that all middle schoolers and teenagers deal with. Um, she didn't feel she fit in. She didn't feel she was liked by people. In fact, when we would encourage her and tell her, honey, you're, you're beautiful, you're bright, you're smart, she would say to us, you have to say that you're our parent. You're my parents. So, um, so some of it was just the normal teenage stuff. Uh, to give you an idea of what she was like when she was 16 years old, she came to me and she said, "Dad, uh, I want to take the driver's ed class. And do you know, Dad, that when I take it, you save 20 percent on the insurance?" <laughs> and I, there you go. She's a sharp kid. She's a sharp kid. Yeah. And I said, well, honey, you know, first you need to understand that dad is a pastor and uh, I know that the driving ed class is $800 and you have a twin brother. And so <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to help you out, but I don't have $1,600 for both of you. And she looked at me and said, no problem, dad, I'm going to get a part-time job and I'll pay for it myself, which she went out and did. And then within a year and a half, she bought her first car. So she was extremely focused, extremely hardworking, loved by many people. She had over 600 people at her memorial service. I was encouraged to discover that lots of girls came up to my wife and said, you know what I loved about your daughter? When I came to the school, I felt out of place and I felt awkward, like I didn't fit in. And she went out of her way to make me feel welcome. Vinny, we uh, appreciate 
your time. We appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, this story, your story, this journey. My prayer for this episode is that even one person can hear this and it can make a difference. The, the one family you know, can hear this message and, um, and be helped and find hope and find community. You know, if you have any questions for Vinny, Vinny, can they get a hold of you through the website there? They can get a hold of me through the website or they can email me directly at Vinny, V-I-N-N-Y at wechoselove.com. So there you go. Vinny is uh, ready and willing to talk with you. And I think you should take him up on that if, uh, if you find yourself in need uh, in any of the ways that he's discussed, if this story touched your heart, chances are that you should get in touch with Vinny. That's what I would say. Absolutely. So, Vinny, we appreciate your time. Um, you're you're going to stay in our prayers, and uh, you know, um, good luck on this. We we chose love, you know, dot com endeavor. I, I I really do pray that it makes a huge difference in people's lives. Okay, thank you, uh, and thank you for producing the awesome show you do because it really has made an impact in my life. Johnny, if I were not a pastor, look, and I was looking for a church, I, I would want Vinny to be my pastor. No, no lie. Oh I yeah, mean, caring, loving, committed to God, committed to family. Uh, boy. He's just, he's a real deal. And whether we were, were recording or not, he and I had quite a long conversation. We, in fact, we talked, Johnny, from my driveway to my son Doug's driveway in Ankeny uh, wow. on the phone the first time. Yeah. So we had quite a long conversation, and uh, he really is my long lost, the brother that I never had. Johnny, when he got to the part where he actually lost his daughter, I I just remember my heart just sank, and I thought, oh, my goodness, these are things that hosts are supposed to know mm. before they push record. Mm. And you and I found out, like, on air, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, that was crazy. But uh, so, yeah, I'm so glad for what for what Vinny is doing. And, and just about two weeks ago, I texted him, haven't talked to him in a couple years, and uh, he texted me back, but we haven't gone any farther than that yet. But uh, we're going to get back on and and uh, have a conversation. I'd love to get an update on where he's yeah. at and uh, what what's going on with that. And then we had the uh, I can't say the word imitable. No, that's not In- right. Imitable. Say it again. Inimitable. 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 Yeah. There we go. The inimitable. <laughs> I can't even say the word. N T Wright. Tom. Johnny. Oh, my friend, Johnny, when I, it was a Saturday afternoon. It was a Saturday early evening when I, when I emailed him and that night we got a reply saying he'd love to be on the podcast. And then I couldn't sleep. Unbelievable. That felt like nothing's going to top that. Right. Uh, for me, I think to, when he said yes, and then when we talked to him and we've talked to him twice now, but when we talked to him and he was just so warm and so normal, you know, uh, it's like he conversed with us. And at the end, his wife was like cooking something and he, he needed to trundle off to the <laughs> kitchen right. and have some stew. <laughs> I mean, it was like, so like, oh my gosh, do we live in a storybook with Tom right now? It was crazy. Um, but he just, his willingness to talk to two schlubs like us, right. With all everything that he's done and everything that's in his mind. Uh, and I, I think that deep down it wasn't because it was us. It was because he knew it was going to go to small churches and he loves, he loves yeah. small churches. And, and so then I asked him, I said, you know, Paul, he's an expert on Paul. I said, I said, uh, what would Paul say to pastors of small churches today? What do you think Paul would say to today's pastors? I mean, thinking about the small church pastors that are just, they're working in small communities in small churches sometimes they wonder if they're ever going to be known uh and they have to have a lot of patience a lot of faithfulness a lot of perseverance you know from your understanding of paul and his writings and his heart what would he say to today's pastors of being known it's interesting that you put it like that paul says that we are unknown and yet well known 
And I, I think Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 onwards, would probably be what Paul would say. These are the signs of the apostles, um, that, that you are unknown and yet well-known, that you are dying and behold, we live, that you're um, uh, cast down but not forsaken and all of that. And um, Paul was writing to the Corinthians who wanted him to be a sort of a well-known figure. They wanted to have an apostle they could boast of. And uh, many in ministry want to be the sort of people that their churches can be proud of. But actually... And, you know, naturally, I say this as an old man and all the rest of it, but uh, <laughs> from the Pauline, the Pauline point of view, if you are loving your people and if you are praying with and for them and if you are teaching them faithfully from the Scriptures, you will be known by the people who matter. Um, in other words, by the people who love you in return and are grateful for your ministry. And for some people, that may be a, a, a core of 20 people who absolutely know that you are the one who they trust to lead them into the presence of God week by week and so on and so on. And for others, it, it may mean, uh, wow, you know, let's move you to this church or why didn't you apply for that job? But that's a snare and a delusion. And I, I would counsel young pastors and old pastors to soak themselves into Corinthians, and particularly those middle chapters from the end of chapter 2 through to the end of chapter 6, really, um, because that's Paul's agenda for what it means to be a pastor, to be a minister of reconciliation. And he's not looking for size of congregation or for success in worldly terms. As he says in 1 Corinthians, um, not many of you were uh, doing anything in, in worldly terms. God chooses what is weak in the world's eyes to shame the strong. God chooses what is nothing in the world's eyes to shame those things that are. And I think God does exactly the same in the churches today. And I, I would also say, for goodness sake, lift up your eyes and look at the worldwide church. Look at what's happening in parts of the third world. Um, look at what's coming out of the Chinese church now, where where they've been almost entirely underground for years. But now some of the some of the writings from Chinese Christians who've lived with what it means to be a persecuted church for generations, they have now got things to teach us. And so uh, we can easily get we in the UK get get stuck by thinking that Christianity is basically Britain plus a few friends, you know. And of course we all know that's not true, but. In the same way in America, people can get stuck in thinking mm -hmm. that Christianity is what it seems to be in America with a few others around the place. And actually, Christianity is a much bigger and more exciting and dramatic and dangerous thing than any of that. So I think to keep the Pauline focus, the two Corinthians focus, and to keep the global reach. But, you know, I was in a seminary a few years ago doing uh, some lectures in a big Catholic seminary in Baltimore, St. Mary's Seminary, the one up on the hill there in Baltimore. And the president of the seminary in the Q&A, he asked me from the chair, he said, he said, what is your basic thing that you want to say to clergy as they're being trained? And I say, uh, you need to learn how to pray, you need to learn how to read the Bible, and you need to learn how to love people. And if you're doing those three things, then let the chips fall where they will. And he said from the chair, he said, that's exactly what I tell my young men. And I say, good, we're on the same page. <laughs> Isn't that good? <laughs> that is good. Those are good moments. Well, Tom, it's been so great to talk to you. I hope after we end the recording here, you'll indulge me in one more question off the air. Sure. Um, but okay, it, sure, yeah. It's very is, good to talk to you, too. Thank you. Yeah, this has been our golden episode. We're the 200 Churches Podcast. This is episode oh, 200. And uh, we are honored, uh, really honored, that you were willing to talk to us. And such great uh, such well, great content for small church pastors. I think they'll be very encouraged to hear your heart for the church oh, and for you. those congregations. You. Thank you so much, and we hope that you're going to be able to join us again. Thank you very much. I hope so, too. <laughs> And I remember hearing that, Johnny, and I just thought, wow, that is that is so, that is going to encourage so many small church pastors yes. to hear Tom Wright share that uh, out of out of somebody who's actually done a little study yeah, right. on <laughs> the Apostle Paul and his yeah, teaching. He's not spitballing. He is. Uh, he knows no. what he's talking about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he, he's not like you and me when we get on the podcast. No, just you know, <laughs> just pull, pulling it out of nowhere, just mixing it up, baby, just mixing it up. This has been wonderful. We didn't talk a lot before this episode. We got on, you kind of laid out where we were going to go, and then we started going. And I had not, I've been busy today. I've been busy this week. I had not thought much about it, but 
10 years, 400 episodes. I, I, I'm borderline verklempt, man. Um, it is, <laughs> it's a, it's an amazing, it's an, this is the third longest commitment of my life, right? Besides my, my marriage and, and my best friend. Um, it's an amazing thing. It's been a true gift to do this with you. And I've not, I mean, I've said this before on the podcast. Everybody should know Jeff has done 90% of the work on this since the beginning. I just show up um, and shoot my mouth. And yet uh, he has done such an amazing job keeping this together. And Jeff, it's just been a gift for me. I am not done. Uh, if this was your way of trying to get me to say goodbye, I'm sorry. Uh, I will be a better friend and a better co-host as time goes. But I, I'm just so you. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here on episode 400. Right. Amen. Episode 400. Yeah. By the way, if you want to hear Johnny's story about going and adopting Eliza, I looked it up. It's episode 153. You were actually down in Florida at that time when we yeah, recorded I'll that. I'll never forget uh, recording. I remember exactly where I was, exactly the room. It was Bill, who I was talking about, Bill's mom's condo in Florida. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I can think exactly where I was when we had that conversation. A man, You go listen to that conversation. You're going to listen to a man who has no idea, no idea. What is about what he to was happen in for. to his life? Absolutely right. So, yeah. And and how many episodes I remember from my parents' basement mm. in New York. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, my dad would laugh at this. He would really laugh if he knew I was saying it on such a public forum. As my dad's mind was gone, <laughs> and it was the summer of his dying, uh, I was in the basement, and uh, I was recording down there just keeping this thing going week after week after week and what a blast i mean that th those are the good part i mean that whole summer was they're good memories for me i got to be with my dad and my mom through all that yeah. but but having the podcast alongside me the whole time yeah. was a joy yeah. and like you said it was a gift well johnny thank you so much for joining me today uh you have been uh, a thrill for the past uh, 12 years. You and I met actually in 2010. 12 years of friendship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I still remember when we got, uh, it was a hybrid program that you and I were in. Mm -hmm. And part of it was online. And we got a list of all the other students with their little, you know, thumbnail pictures or whatever. Yeah. And I remember looking down through the people and trying to, trying to get a read on them, get a beat on them. You know, what are these people like? Sure. Who are these people I'm going to be studying with? <laughs> And I remember looking at yours and it said something about having gone to law school for a year. And I thought, well, whoop-dee-doo, Mr. <laughs> Hoity-toity. <laughs> and of course, I had different thoughts for all the different people. And I, you know, it's fun. It's fun to do that in your mind because you, you know that when you meet people, all that goes out the window and it changes. Yeah. Um, but out of all those people, and I'm still somewhat connected with the others, but you and I stuck like glue through the last 12 years. And yeah. it's been, it has been one of the great joys of my life to do this with you and to bless so many pastors uh, along the way. So thanks for, thanks for doing that with me. Hey, can I drop in one last note? Um, sure. If you're out there and you still hate listen to this podcast because you're trying to catch me and Jeff doing something uh, naughty, send me an email so we can catch up. I would love to talk to you about uh, what's wrong with your life that you're still uh, hate listening to this podcast 10 years now. <laughs> um, I'm not naming any names. I'm just saying, you know, if you're out there, let me know. <laughs> if you, if you, I've never heard that term before, Johnny. Hate listen. Hate listen. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have we have hate listeners. I, well, we have. I don't. I would be horrified to find that we still have hate listeners. But if ha I'm saying, if you're out there, shoot me an email. I'd love to talk. I'd love to know. Well, you know me. I I still have my rose-colored glasses on, Johnny. <laughs> Everything's wonderful, man. Everybody, everybody loves everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today, and we'll catch up with you next week on the Two Hundred Churches Podcast.